Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Each week, I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. Eight years ago, Alyssa Mastromonaco was described, quite aptly, as one of the most powerful, least famous people in Washington. Back then, Alyssa was the deputy chief of staff, serving in the Obama White House, the youngest woman to ever hold that position, and the first to sit in her office, literally next to the president's. There, she held such titanic responsibilities as overseeing the nomination of cabinet secretaries, negotiating presidential visits with foreign governments, and running the White House military office, among many other things. Of course, she wasn't famous. She was far too busy leading the team of the leader of the free world. But a woman who shines as brightly as Alyssa can't stay behind the scenes for long. Since leaving her role as the brilliant woman behind the brilliant man in 2014, she has stepped resolutely into the spotlight. Her first book, Who Thought This Was a Good Idea, about her time in the White House, was a New York Times bestseller and quickly optioned by Mindy Kaling. This March, she published her second book, So Here's the Thing, a deep and personal dive into the highs and lows of 21st century womanhood and the lessons she's learned and the hard decisions she's had to make. Perhaps most famous is her choice to live child-free, something Alyssa has long been candid about. It wasn't an easy decision, nor is it easy to speak publicly about it in a culture that insists women strive for motherhood. But Alyssa knows herself. She is demonstrably complete as is, and there is no question her life is already full to the brim. Today, she serves as senior advisor to NARAL, Pro-Choice America, co-hosts an all-woman-produced podcast, and is a contributing editor at Marie Claire. As a woman of seemingly limitless talent and drive, it's hard not to wonder what her legacy will be. But Alyssa herself isn't bothered with image-making. As ever, she's too busy and focused on the work at hand, trusting, as she says, that my glory will come in time. We have no doubt. And while her legacy is still taking shape, one thing is clear. Alyssa Mastromonaco will leave her mark on history, and the future is definitely brighter because of it. Hi, Alyssa. Christine. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy autumn. Thank Almost. you. Oh, well, it feels like autumn. September. Today. Yes, it's true. So I want to talk about your book, So Here's the Thing. The paperback's coming out in a couple of months. It is. This is your second book. Yes. Tell us about the first book and the crazy success of the first book and how that actually kind of transcended sure. to this one. So the first book was my post-White House. I had been White House Deputy Chief of Staff. The first woman to actually sit in the office that I had, the office closest to the Oval Office. And explain what that role is, because a lot of people sure. that listen to Unstyled might not exactly know. So anyone who has seen The West Wing, the television show, I was Josh Lyman. And I think it's important because people have asked me before if I was Donna. And I was like, no, I wasn't Josh Lyman's assistant. I was Josh Lyman. Now, every White House deputy chief of staff for operations or for policy has a different remit from admin to admin. 
And so for me, I was in charge of presidential personnel, which is the research, nominating, vetting, and confirmation process of the cabinet secretaries, deputy secretaries, assistant secretaries, and any Senate-confirmed positions. For President Obama. For President Obama. Yes. Let's get that in there. Let's, let's just talk about President Obama. Yeah, okay. No, and then the White House military office, which was a really hard one for me to sort of take the reins on, which was 3,500 members of the military that ran and operated Air Force One, Marine One, Camp David, the 18 acres. Uh, 18 acres is what you actually call the White House campus, the 18 acres. Because it's 18 acres. Insider info. Wow. Also, all of the president's travel, foreign and domestic, negotiating those logistics with the foreign governments. Um, what was the reaction to the book? What were people just like really latching on to? I was so touched because the book was inspired by the reaction from the first book, which was intended to speak to young women. It was like the book I wanted when I was 22, but didn't have. That's mm-hmm. like, you're going to be okay. Second book, so here's the thing, was a response to all the questions I got. I kept like a journal of all the things that women would tweet at me, or men, tweet at me, ask me, email me, send me letters about. And then each of the chapters in So Here's the Thing addressed anecdotally and narratively some of those issues. I am a self-aware person and so like yeah. I'm not like I'm not like oh my god I'm famous. No, but I do like I will walk you're, down you're the kind, street. Kind of famous. I will walk down the street and have women be like your book changed my life. I got into public service because of your book. I am involved in politics cuz part of what I wanted people to understand about being involved in politics, you don't have to quit your job and go work on a campaign to be involved in politics. You don't have to quit your job to help change the world. You know, like the most important thing any of us can do is support ourselves and be financially independent and make sure that we have the flexibility to make those changes when we want to. So I tell people, I'm like, you want to get involved? Start in your community. Go every Monday night from 7 to 8 to volunteer. Make people start to see how reliable you are, how engaged you are, and that they can count on you. I mean, especially for younger people. And then it'll build from there. And so I'm happy that I gave people some bite-sized ways to get involved because I think so many of us feel like we have to, like oh, you're overwhelmed. You see terrible things happening every day. You feel hopeless and helpless, and you don't know what to do. And the thing is, there are bite-sized ways that are hugely impactful. You don't have to quit your job to change the world. I think that that is honestly such a huge barrier for so many of us. We it is. feel like we have to completely turn our lives upside down and live in complete lack of security. Well, it's like upheaval. You have to give up everything that feels safe to you Mm -hmm. in order to actually do the work that you think is going to make a real difference. But I was watching the town halls last night. Oh, I watched almost all of them. And Elizabeth Warren, obviously, she's so smart. You can tell she really genuinely cares about Mm -hmm. the Green New Deal and just, you know, everything that's going on in the world. The thing about the 2020 candidates and the issues that we have to tackle is that because there are 20 candidates, the proposals have such specificity. And the two that I struggle with the most are healthcare and climate change because you hear them and things sound good in theory. But I was really happy for the climate town halls because I want to know the details. I'm not a scientist. And so I want to learn as much as I can to see what I really think people are proposing. I really enjoyed from Andrew Yang you know, is like the businessman having his proposals to Elizabeth Warren, to Bernie. I missed a few. Pete was good. 
Oh, yeah, Mayor Pete was good. Though my favorite thing is that, what? well, you know the climate town halls were in New York. Because I started watching and I was like, oh, my God, everyone was in New York and they all got fresh new haircuts. Everyone basically had a fresh new haircut on stage last night. I became <gasps> transfixed. I think even Bernie got did a haircut. Did you tweet about that? I think I did. Oh, that's funny. Because I was like, I was like, oh my god! And then Mayor Pete sort of solidified it. He definitely had like a fresh. He definitely had a he fresh, had fresh haircut. Cut. Yeah, he looked sharp. You know, but I also think that's what overwhelms people is that when you think back a couple elections ago, you'd be like, I'm for health care, and this person doesn't want to give universal health care. The things we needed to know seem simpler. You know, yeah. it was like pro or con. It was very black and white. Right? And so now you're either for going into Iraq or you were against going into Iraq. And now it's like you have to know so much more. And I think that also overwhelms people because they feel like they can't participate because they don't know enough. And so that's why I actually do think things like that. The climate town halls last night were very helpful. I was happy, but I also thought that it sent a really powerful message that they devoted so much airtime to this topic. Obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about there being 20 candidates and just the kind of challenges that poses for people like us and how we actually find the the candidate we want to support. But I think that the fact that they are dedicating time because they know how dense this information is and how important it is that people really become passionate about it and care. Because it's science. It's not necessarily sexy. And so I'm a nerd. Oh, it's so sexy. Right. I think it's really interesting. I, well, I mean, I think it's really interesting. But if you are a network hosting a debate and you care about ratings, yeah, I feel like most of the debates have focused on things that are controversial or going to cause like a stir on Twitter. And by and large, most of the candidates agree on climate change. So it hasn't really played a real role in any of the other debates, which is why I'm so glad that there was a night devoted to just climate change. No, I was too. Tell me what your best advice is about navigating 20 possible candidates. I think that most of us have a gut. Well, one, I would tell people to not listen to the pundits. Okay, because when people start talking you think they're about, biased? well, no, it's like when people start talking about electability, right? Mm-hmm. What have we heard? You know, Elizabeth Warren is not electable. Well, Barack Hussein Obama wasn't exactly considered electable when we started running, mm-hmm. and so I just think that through the primary and caucus process, that you know, the will of the people will be of Democratic people will be expressed. And I just don't want people to be bullied into supporting someone that is considered electable or that they hear they should support. I think that we get the best outcome, the best result when people really can identify or or see the authentic compassion and intelligence of some of these campaigns. And almost all of the campaigns now have policy sections on their websites. You should think about the policies that are most important to you, and you should take an hour or two and go through each of the candidates and see where they fall on the continuum of the policies you care about. I want to support someone I know is going to just run into fire for me, right? If that was your litmus, if your litmus was only like, who would save me in a burning building? Mm-hmm. Right. I think I know Barack Obama would have. I know Hillary would have. I mean, like Donald Trump certainly wasn't going to. Yeah. And so because there is so much time still between now and the primary caucus process that people should really just do what feels good. I think that's good advice. Right. I've been actually also doing something that is probably not recommended, but I've been going along the periphery and not necessarily just 
reading the stuff in the mainstream yes. sort of media. Mm-hmm. And I actually listened to Kamala Harris on Ron Burgundy's podcast. And? Yes. Awesome. And it was awesome. And I have to say, there was something so appealing about when, you know, Will Ferrell's in character as Ron Burgundy from Anchorman. He essentially knows about as much as politics as a lot of regular folks, you know, and I think that it's hard to actually really understand a lot of the nuances that are discussed or that really play into a lot of the decision making. And I actually thought it was silly at first, but then I realized that there was just a lot of really good value there. And she played along so well, and she was just such a a good sport. And I actually really liked her a lot after listening to that podcast. That, I have found that with several of the people who are running when I've listened to them in sort of off the beaten path. Look, I don't think anyone gives their best performance in a four-minute interview on cable news. You know, like you're never going to capture the true essence, the spirit, the intelligence of a person. Because we all know that when you do that, you have like two topics, you know, they're going to talk to you about and you kind of like memorize your soundbite and you try to get it out there. I, one of my favorite things was I was listening to this podcast. It was Rebecca Traster, The Cut and Elizabeth Warren. And my brain exploded with love and admiration and just everything for something Elizabeth Warren said. They, they had interviewed some of her students at Harvard about what kind of professor she was. And all of them said, you know, she was so wonderful, but she did not suffer fools. Like she, she was, was tough. she was really, really tough. And then Traster went back to Warren and read and read or played some of the comments that students had. And Warren said, I want to get it as close to right as I can. She basically said that it was her job to show the students by the end of the semester how smart they were right and how prepared they were and that was the whole purpose of her class and I was like oh my god that's what she's doing for America Mm -hmm. like she wants to show us that we do have the skills that we can do it and that you know sometimes you just need a little and that we're smarter than we think we are yes and then you need a little poker in the ass sometimes to get it going but it summarized everything and also she wasn't talking about all of her policies it was about being a teacher and growing up I found it very uh very inspiring that is really inspiring. Yeah. But it's also advice that you would give to your best friend or your partner. Right. Yeah. And that's what I want, though. I want a president who gets people. I will say about Elizabeth Warren, the thing that really resonates for me with her is that there is such pleasure when she is up there. Loves it. Loves Living it. Living her best life. There is just something, and you can see that she was a really vivacious professor because she gets up there and she knows how to hold the crowd. She knows how to hold them and, and she knows when she's losing them or they're not leaned in. And there's just something so, I think, magnetic about her. And I find her indefatigable. We have all seen politicians that can get up and regurgitate something. Yeah. And you know they're regurgitating it. And sometimes you don't care, but... She feels it. She owns it. That's the thing. She can talk about anything like on the fly because she knows she's it. She's passionate about right. it. And, and she knows it. And I think we all know that when we are passionate about something, we commit more information to memory. It's not as hard. It's mm-hmm. not a struggle. And there's just something about her in those moments, which I, of course, wouldn't be able to get out from under the covers if I had to do what she is doing. And also, we are still a ways out from primaries and just like, you know, getting to that place. And I just feel like in order for us to not lose our own momentum and Mm -hmm. our own steam and engagement, I think that there's obviously the threat of fatigue, but there's just something so buoyant. And she's like, let's go, you know, there's something really. She's like professor, 
diplomat, troop leader. I mean, she kind of checks And she doesn't shit on other people. She doesn't. She won't. She won't. And I feel like a lot of the other candidates that I respect a lot always kind of use that motive where they're just pulling the rug out from their fellow Democrats. And I don't know. I just feel like they've got to be kind to one another. And obviously we have to win this in the next election. And I just think that there's something she really genuinely appreciates the different skill sets that they each bring to the table. Right. It's like and I look at on that stage and there are some people who I would prefer to be my president more than others. I feel the same way. But everybody on that stage is bringing something to the table. Right. And so I don't want anybody taking unkind swipes at each other because I want to make sure that we end up with the best. It's not just the best president. It's the best administration. We want the best cabinet. We want the best staff. No, it's a team. And I think that the thing that makes me the saddest about the last three years, four years now, is just like the sort of absence of a moral compass. And it's just that that moral compass is really important. It really trickles down and people feel it and they feel a certain accountability to be good neighbors. And I think that That example that that person sets in office is so powerful, and that's one of the reasons why I love Elizabeth Warren. Well, and that's what I think. She does the right thing. She does the right thing, and I do think In my opinion. Every single person up there, I do think, has a very strong moral compass. And having been someone who was lucky enough to walk into an administration the very first day, I was sworn in minutes after the president took the oath of office. And when he came and addressed the staff, either later that day or the next morning, His message was that we serve the American people, all the American people. Like, we are not here for ourselves. We are here for them. And and that's, I think, when I get very idealistic, it's like I want to hear that because I believe it. I don't want a candidate who's up there and saying, like, like, I think it was Mayor Pete who gave a speech and everyone's like, it's too idealistic. The government bureaucracy grinds everything, Mm -hmm. right? And so when people are talking about Medicare for all, for example— And they're like, I don't want Medicare for all. It's like, okay, listen, everyone calm the fuck down. Because, like, there are no fiats. Everyone's worried now because (laughs) Donald Trump, because he just does these random executive orders and just changes the laws. But, like, that's not really how it works. I do think when a Democrat is president, it will change. Things will go back to being negotiated. Because the whole point of negotiating is that the will of the people, of all people, is represented. The people who elected Republicans, the people who elected Democrats, the people in rural places, the people in cities. And so I just, like, I just need everyone else to stop being so hair on fire. It's like, calm down. No, I agree. It doesn't help things. But the other thing that I think is just really makes me happy is that so many of those candidates, you can tell this is a calling to them. It's not about ego. It's not about being famous or having the top spot. You interned with Bernie Sanders, correct? Yep. You said that that experience really affirmed for you that you wanted to work in politics. I was in college at the University of Vermont. It's a very liberal school. I was interested in politics. I found it to be a calling after interning for him. And it wasn't actually really politics. It was governing Mm -hmm. and it was public service. Because the thing that I realized, and this is a time when there was no internet really, you know, and, and there wasn't social media and... I answered the phones in Bernie's Burlington office in 1995. And people would call with problems. They would explain them to me. Give me an example of a problem. Someone would call and say they hadn't been receiving their Social Security benefits. Okay. 
Okay. And so I would write down the problem. I'd be like, when's the last time you got a check? You know, have you moved? I kind of got to understand the questions that I should I ask people. I honestly would people. love to do that job. I talk to people all day long. And I would write it down and then I would file it in each of the caseworkers. Each congressional office has someone who handles immigration, social security. Mm-hmm. And so I would file it. And then you could track it. And then when the case was closed, it went into a special folder. And what I would see over the course of a week is how many people's problems had been solved. Now, look, there is bureaucracy. Things are difficult. But for me, government is about protecting and helping those in the greatest need, right? And so I couldn't believe it. And then I went to Washington the following summer to intern for Bernie the other thing that's great is Bernie never had too many interns. So I actually got a lot of interaction with Bernie as a sophomore, a junior in college. And the thing that I also found sort of intoxicating about the whole experience is Bernie never spoke down to me. He never talked to me like a quote-unquote intern. I used to drive him sometimes. I'd pick him up at the airport and take him to events. And I knew. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I knew that when he got in the car, we were not just going to be talking about what was in the New York Times, because he would always talk to me about what was happening in the news. But I needed to know what was in the Burlington Free Press, in the Rutland Herald, I think it's Rutland Herald, um, and all the local papers in and around Vermont. Because he cared and about so, his And like, right. So community. when people hold you to a higher standard, you ascend, you know? And I ended up doing things like taking a course on rural sociology which this is a random but funny. I found rural sociology fascinating. One of the things I learned is that in parts of Vermont that had television and some cable, if you asked a woman what domestic violence was, she knew because of Oprah. Because women who were able to watch Oprah had a heightened awareness Mm -hmm. of what it meant to be abused. And women who didn't, didn't. And one day I was alone with Oprah. <laughs> and I was very as nervous. One, as one is. As one finds themselves yes. sometimes before the Iowa caucuses. And was it just the two of you? And Gail. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, you know, sometimes we get a little. Bless Gail. Got, Always there. Well, I have to tell you, they were just the best. Everyone's shoes were off. Uh, Oprah was getting ready to do I an event. I love them so much. There is something. And Oprah was kind of like, tell me what's going on. And I didn't know what to say, but for some reason, that rural sociology course popped in my head, and I talked to her, and I asked her if she had known things like that. And it was just... And what did she say? She was like, tell me more. People who are intellectually curious to me, there is no greater attribute. People have asked me. And and the first time someone asked me, it really caught... My response caught me off guard. They're like, what's the one thing you would say about Barack Obama? And I'm like, he is intellectually curious. And then when I look at the politicians, the candidates I'm drawn to, they are the people who are the most curious about the people and their experiences. And I'm like, oh, that's something that matters to me, that people are curious, that they know there's more to know. Yes. Well, I think that it's a desire for knowledge. I think that that is such an authentic 
example of someone's passion for the work that they're doing. Well, and you know what else I think is really helpful? How many women there are running. Because I think that we all want to see ourselves reflected in politics. We want to see ourselves reflected in the businesses that we support or in the government that we are governed by. And then Hillary ran, God bless, and it was one woman. Right. And so there's almost this feeling that like all the women should believe what she believed because she was a woman. And so one of the things I think is tremendous is that we've had five women up on that stage debating. And guess what? Not all women fucking think and talk the same way. And I hope that that changes sort of the dynamic of elections and how people run forever, because I think that it's what's made women feel so pigeonholed for so long, that there weren't enough women that you could identify with. Right? I think and that's so, why Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been such a huge game changer. Agree. And look, like all those members of the squad, they're not the same. No. As a matter of fact, I worked for Ayanna Presley. She was my first boss when I worked for John Kerry in 1999 or 2000. But those women are in leadership. Can and, I be in your squad? Of course you can be in my squad. <laughs> I want a squad. <laughs> I, I feel squadless right now, too. Um <laughs> But, you know, I saw some shaming going on. Oh, there's so much shaming. But this one really pissed me off because it was right after Mayor Pete gave, like, his announcement speech. Mm -hmm. And there were these semi-famous women on Twitter being like, I'm so into Mayor Pete. And people being like, you're a woman. You should support a woman. No, no. Being a woman means you get to support whoever you want. Yes. That is what being a woman means. And if you, if the what the women are saying, the, all the different women are saying does not resonate with you, and Mayor Pete does resonate with you, like, go with God. <laughs> go support Mayor Pete. That's what I mean when I was saying earlier, like, don't listen to other people and ignore the conventional wisdom. Because part of the conventional wisdom is that women must, in our DNA, support one of the women running. And that's not – you, sh- you should support whoever you think reflects what you believe. Well, I don't know why that is where I feel like women, regardless of whether they're running or voting for people that are running, it's like there's all these restrictions that women have that men don't ever have. It's like you have to do things a certain way. Otherwise, you're not a feminist. Right. And I think that that does exclude a lot of people from because I think they feel afraid of doing the wrong thing because of that judgment, that constant looming judgment. The thing that I, I think is also a lesson and why we should not shame people for what they believe is that one of the things, one of the ways that Donald Trump became president is, you know, all the polls that were going into 2016 showed Hillary ahead. And it's because the people who supported Donald Trump were ashamed to say they supported him. So nobody saw it coming. There are a lot of reasons that the election happened the way it did, but that isn't a component part. That's still the case. Right. Yeah. I think we don't really know how many people really feel like they would vote for him again. No, and I just feel like the world is giving permission to express their darkest thoughts, you know, which is different than, it's like the opposite of shaming. No, <laughs> yes, it's like liberated. coming out of the shadows. What did you think of Senator Sanders' talk with Cardi B? I didn't watch it yet. 
Really? I'm so surprised. I know. You want to know why? Why? Here's my problem. Did you think it was too gimmicky? No, 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 no. It's that when things are really, really, really popular... You reject them? I do. I do too. I do. I was like, you know, it was like the year when Slumdog Millionaire won all the awards at the I Golden Globes. I still have never seen it. Me neither. I, and I called I it. I still have and never seen it. And the next year, I was like, if this is going to I've never seen, you know, the, the play. Um, Hamilton. Yeah, I've never seen Hamilton. I saw Hamilton. Because I avoided it because everyone was talking about it. They're like, you've never seen Hamilton? Because you know what? After people talk, there are a whole bunch of, th- there are many shows. I never watched Game of Thrones. I was, me neither. You and I, are, oh, this is really, really, we do have, a, we have very similar sort of behaviors. I was very happy that Jill Cargman built um, a storyline into about the shaming that happened that she had not seen Hamilton into her show, Odd I Mom Out. I love that show. I loved Odd Mom Out. Odd Mom Out was so great. Shout out to Jill Cargman. That and show Abby was Elliott. Brilliant. I love Abby Elliott. Hilarious. Hilarious, hilarious. I, just, I can't. When things are that popular, I'm just like, whatever. I know. I'm just, yeah, Game of Thrones. What else have I never watched? Any of the Lord of the Rings? No. I just feel like then that's for other people. Do you watch Succession? No, but it's on my list. It does not yet eclipse The Wire for me, which is really number one. Did you watch The Wire? No. You're going to need to put that on your list, too. It's really, really, really I, good. So the funny thing is I I have the same television taste as my dad. And the two shows that you and my dad have both told me to watch are The Wire and Succession. I mean, I love your dad. Can we get him on a text chain with us? I mean, so we're he's, talking he's about a pretty it? good texter. He's very responsive. So here's a story. Only because I really love to see celebrities out in the wild. And I'm one of those people that when I see a celebrity that I really, really love, I do have to say something. Me, too. I really do. I have to just like be that person. And I was at the airport, LAX. I was going to an event and, and I look over and there's Jeremy Strong who plays oh. Kendall Roy. And he's really like the star of Succession. And I just like looked at him and I was like, I looked back, I said, just keep it together. Just keep it together. And I just looked back at him and he kind of like he had his eyes down and I just looked at him and I go, oh, Succession. <laughs> and I just like kind of told him and he was like, did that little bow thing. But then he said, he asked me, he said, so tell me, you know, what do you think? And I said, I just really think it's one of the most beautifully written shows. It's funny. It's like it's hard to find a drama that's really dramatic, but also hilarious in its absurdity. And I said, you know, but I have to tell you, I'm so happy the second season's back. But the first episode was really slow. He goes, I've heard that a lot. He goes, wait till you get to episode four. It really picks up. He's like, you're going to enjoy it. I said, well, thank you. And he's right. We're up to episode four. Do you know one of my biggest regrets in life? What? Who did you see and you didn't speak to? Yes, I was on a flight to London and Francis. Don't tell me it was Brad Pitt. No, it was not. It was Frances McDormand. She is like my inspiration. Like I think that she has aged so gracefully. I think she is so funny and so talented. Like I love her. Her character in Friends with Money is my favorite. I love. She love won't that wash movie. Her hair. Yes. Love that movie. She won't wash her hair. And she, but she's also like she's been in everything. She was in uh, what was the other one that takes place out in the Hamptons. Um, Oh, oh something's got to give. Something's got to give. Something's Diane got to give. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she cried. I mean, like th- that is one movie I cannot turn she off has when good it hair comes on. She has good. No, I can't turn that movie off. Are you She's, kidding me? I mean, and I want to always wear turtlenecks because of Diane Keaton. It's like you know what, turtleneck in summer, no problem. Oh my god! But that was my big, and the the reason I regretted it is because on the flight they were going over to the Baftas or something. It that. was the whole cast of, or most of the cast of, uh, three billboards. Oh, yeah. And so, but the thing is, she was like a hoot. She was a great time. She was like, they were all like laughing and talking. Like, she was so, and I was like, oh, I I love you so much. And then she got off and they were slowed down. So we were actually going to customs together. (laughs) 
Oh. And I was like, the good Lord is telling me to just say something, but I was a big puss and I didn't say anything. I think you did the right thing. I probably, you know what? And Because sometimes when you love someone so much, you just should never meet them because you don't want to be disappointed. Yeah, her at the Oscars, man, getting up there with her <gasps> Birkenstocks, I was just like, I love you so much. And she didn't have any makeup on. No I makeup. I don't wear makeup on. I never wear makeup. And so that is also I validating. Find- I feel the same exact way about getting married. Oh, yeah, exactly When I got married, I went to just get my roots done, right? Like, I just wanted my roots done. Bare minimum. I wore a skirt and a James Purse t-shirt, and I went out and I splurged on a Marnie necklace, and I wore opening ceremony tie ankle shoes and orange suede. we are the same. And I wore a ponytail. I went to go get my roots done, and they were like... You're not normally here because it was like a it was like a Friday morning, and they're like you're not. You normally only come here. once every two years, <laughs> and they're like and they're like you never come on because I was still working in the White House, and they're like you never come on Fridays. I was would come on Saturdays, and I was like, well, I've got something going on this afternoon, and they were like, what? And I was like, oh, I'm getting married, and they I got shamed at the salon into getting a do. Did which, you get a do? Of course, because I'm weak of will, and so then I got home and washed my hair. Redid my hair. Yeah. I wore a blue Stella McCartney, a petrol blue Stella McCartney shift dress. Oh, nice. And shoes that I had in my closet. I mean. And that was it. And you know what? I just wanted to feel like me. I don't. I didn't wear makeup. I mean, and you didn't want to like basically take your $4,000 dress to the dry cleaners and leave it there because you could give a shit because you're never going to wear it again. Well, I mean, the truth is I did buy a really expensive actual wedding dress, but then did I. Did you sell it? No, I still have it. Oh, sell it. It's so beautiful. That's what the real reel's for. I know. I could probably make a lot of money. It was yeah. it was really expensive. It. I, it required a payment plan. I just, I'd never worn anything uh. so beautiful before. And so I bought it and then I realized Wait it a was, minute. do you know what it was? It was like, it was like why Carrie Bradshaw. It, why don't you wear it for um, election night? That would be so much fun. Um, you know what? Maybe I will. I think it that is would be so, amazing. I can't tell you how fucking beautiful it is. And I, we should get a place where we can all go and have cocktails and all wear and our wedding posh. outfits. That would be so Or fun. our non-wedding outfits because a lot of people, you know, don't want to get married and that's okay. Whatever feels right. Whatever feels right. That's mm-hmm. that's basically the theme of today's episode. Whatever feels right. You know what? That is the theme. I know. Fuck, that was Whatever good. feels right is right. We should do like whatever feels right like once a year. I know. It's a good name for a podcast. Yeah, succession has to be put on your list. And it's honestly, list. you will. The Wire is a commitment. That's like 18 seasons. Yeah. And each up, and each season is like 12 episodes. And it's heavy, heavy, heavy. And I don't think you need that right now. Uh, my most recent nonstop beginning to end, I watched all 22 seasons of Law & Order SVU. I love it. Olivia Benson, That last se- those last couple of seasons, I cried so many episodes. Most of because the inner dynamic, like the dynamics between the... Like the is there cast. sexual tension? No, it's just like the thing that I have found interesting in rewatching the episodes is how political they were when we didn't even realize they were political. Yeah. You know, like a woman who wouldn't report a crime because she was undocumented and, you know, wow. people, yeah, there was a lot of, there have been a lot of things that I've noticed and I was like, wow, Dick Wolf. Like, whoa. I mean, hats off to Dick Wolf. Hats off. Well, you know, it's the funny thing. One of my... Uh, I'm not even going to call it a guilty pleasure because we should watch whatever we want to watch. No, no guilt. But when I live tweet The Bachelor or Bachelor in Paradise, the number First of people. All, everybody is watching. Everyone in our office is talking about The Bachelor in Paradise. It's wild. It's wild this season. Because here's what I think is interesting. 
I have always found the Bachelor franchise to be a real barometer for what's going on in America mm-hmm. and like the kind of contestants that they pull and when they had the first Black Bachelorette and like yeah. And so this season, Demi came out as bisexual on the show, and everyone on the show applauded her, the whole cast. And I was like, this is – and I was like, a Democrat's going to win. <laughs> I'm like, because if Bachelor in Paradise is letting this storyline unfold, then I do think that the We're ready. gut of America has shifted. We're ready. Yeah. But some the number of people who tweet at me like, you're smarter than this, I'm like, no, I'm not. And Everyone's like- got to be mad about something. That's yeah. what that's what when I when I got some of those tweets about the bachelor cuz like I love the bachelor so much. I've done live shows. Oh <laughs> about, wow. Oh yeah, like I've like for real for real. One of the things I do think is genius. I went back and watched the first season of the bachelor. Uh-huh. It's amazing. It's amazing how life has changed. It's like an anthropomorphic yeah, kind it's, of like, it's amazing. you know, okay, exploration. Of you know, like, it's like the woman with the curly hair. Like back then, you know, everyone had blowouts and the woman with curly hair is like, he's never going to big me and he doesn't. <laughs> and that women, women wore pants. Women were wearing pants in the first season. So it's before they realized it's that. It's before and, it went super. It's back when it was really, it's like the real world, back when it was really a reality show. Well, that was like the Real Housewives before they right. actually had glam squads no doing one, all their hair and stuff like that and stylists. No one remembers Puck from the real world. No one remembers real world New York. I love that show. Actually, one of the women that was on the real world, she's like a big TV host now. And then the other the other one married the guy from Party of Five, Scott something. Oh, Scott. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. The, well, I loved the one, Party of Five. The one I was – P.O. Five? <laughs> Are you kidding? I mean – Let me tell you. Let me give you this quick story because this five. is so good because Please. I also loved my so-called life. They all were sort of like of the same – Era. My so-called life was like, I'm so surprised that there are still young women that have not gone back and seen that. When I was a freshman at the University of Vermont, that show came out, and I was very shy. We didn't really have televisions in our dorm room, so mm-hmm. if a show came on, you went to the common room. And so we all went down to watch My So-Called Life, uh-huh. and we would go every week to watch it. And I made friends because everyone was talking about the same thing. You know, it's like we all had a common interest. And so fast forward many, many years, I'm at the Beverly Hilton with uh, President Obama. And he is doing an event where he's thanking people who've done surrogate work for us. And I'm standing in the corner with my my bros, John Favreau and uh, David Pluff. Jared Leto. And Jared Leto is there. And I said to I tell the two of them the story. I'm like, you know, I basically got fucking friends in college because of Jared Leto. And they're like, that's crazy. And I told them the whole story. And then I went to the bathroom and I came back. And President Obama's like, Alyssa, come over here. He's like, tell Jared your story. <laughs> and let me tell you he something. Had never seen, he had never seen my so-called life. No, of course not. Yeah, so- and can I tell you, no one's ever been fucking nicer. Really? Jared was like, that means so much to me. It was really, I was really, I was was touched. I think, of course he was touched because I don't think that that show has gotten the credit, nor do I think 30-something got the credit (gasps) that it deserved. 30-something was such a defining sort of moment for me. Like, it made me want, it actually made me ambitious. It made me ambitious because they worked in an ad agency, they worked in a creative field. I was like, I don't know, 15 or 16 when that came out. I can't even remember. 
I think I always saw myself as a middle-aged person anyway. Well, that was always my problem. My yes. mother was like, there is no way you can relate to this show. Because I was like 13. She's like, there is no way you can relate to this show. And I was like, I love it. Neither one of those shows has really gotten, well, maybe it has. I have not Well, because the deep. shows, those two shows were shockingly introspective. They were, but they also, I think it was sort of like the Gilmore Girls where the dialogue was just so sophisticated and so mellifluous in a yes. lot of ways. They were ahead of their time. Really ahead of their time, but I feel like my so-called life does not get the kind of, also, I really should just screenshot her hair right now because I really want to do something weird with my hair. And I remember Claire Dane's hair. Oh, in, yeah. Um, wait, don't tell me her name. It's, God, it's- Angela. Angela Chase. Fuck, I knew that. Angela Chase. Wait, and who was Ricky? Ricky? Yeah, Ricky. Ricky, and who he's was- He's also an actor. He's a successful actor He's now, a too. successful he's actor. Movies. And then there was the guy with the blonde curly hair whose name was like a last name, but I can't remember. He had, you know what he had? He had like the great American hero hair. <laughs> right? Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. <laughs> Flying away on a wing on a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. Oh my God. Who, I could not have done that with anybody else. Oh, Who would have known the words? Heart. I know. That has to make it in. <laughs> Alyssa Mastromonaco, I love you so much. Christine. I just feel like I just, yes. I same. Love. 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 Quadruple exos. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I hope you're inspired after hearing Alyssa's story. For even more unstyled extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be infinitely grateful if you'd please subscribe to Unstyled on Apple Podcasts and rate us while you're there. You can head over to refinery29.com to find this episode and more, and make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter, delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was produced by Rebecca Easley with production assistance by Kate Spencer. Unstyled was edited by Priscilla Mena and Anna Costanza, and our writer is Kelsey Miller. Our theme music today is by the artist Koff, and we recorded Unstyled with Paul Ruist at Argo Studios and Gotham Podcast Studios. I hope you enjoyed the Unstyled podcast just as much as we enjoy making it for you, and we'll see you back here next season. Unstyled.